We have been in the book of James for a while, and we're going back there again to chapter 4 in the book of James, verse 4 and 5, and I hope you can come back next week because this is the negative side, this is the downside of the statement that he makes here. Next week it's the positive side, in fact... Right where I end reading today, there is this big, huge word, this, uh, this word that takes us a different direction when he says, but. This is what it says in verse 4 and 5, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? <clears throat> Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But, and that's where we'll come back next week. I hope you can be here and uh, think about this amazing phrase when he says, but God gives more grace. And that's the hope and the joy of our lives. But this issue is uh, very similar to one that he's already raised earlier in the chapter where he says there's two kinds of wisdom, and it seems to be a theme that James is repeating numerous times, that he's just drawing this stark dividing line between the, do I have a, do I have a PowerPoint? He's drawing this stark dividing line between us and them, one side and the other side, between uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And he's just making the point in several different ways that we choose and then we're on one side or the other. And there is no blending and there is no blurring between these two. Seems to be the point that he makes. And here he uses this issue, this term, what he calls friendship of the world in the New International Version. Um, to be a friend or to have a friend, I'm going to just talk about the word friendship for a moment. To have a friend or to be a friend is, uh, there's several things that I want to, uh, several different aspects that I want to say. First of all, it's wonderful. If you have a friend, if you are a friend, just the reward of the feedback and the joy that you have. Do I... Am I'm just asking, is there anything on there? Okay, just checking. Um, <clears throat> the first word is wonderful. If you have a friend, it's a wonderful thing. It's just a great sense of camaraderie and love, and everybody wants to have a friend, everybody wants to be a friend. Here's the second word. It's dangerous. To be a friend, to have a friend, is dangerous in a number of ways. You may think, what do you mean? It's dangerous to have a friend? Yes, it is. Because you will do things for your friend that you won't do for other people. You will be attached to your friend. Folks all the time lie for their friends. They cheat for their friends. They steal for their friends. They make all kinds of gestures to protect a friend that they would never do for somebody else. So don't, don't kid yourself. It's very dangerous to have a friend or to be a friend. So when we talk about friendship with the world, you just have to realize that aspect of it. It's a wonderful thing to be accepted and acknowledged in the culture around you and to feel like, hey, I'm a friend of the world. But 
It's dangerous as well. Um, a third thing is this. This is a third word that I just connect with friends, and that is emotional. It is uh, friendship is a level of connection that's simply beyond the academic. It doesn't mean you just live in the neighborhood. This is my address on this street and so forth. No, when you say, <clears throat> this is my friend, <clears throat> you mean more than we, the fact that we just live together or that we just live near each other. You're saying that there's a bond of emotion. And that is a very huge part of what the word friendship even means. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Josh Lance talked about two Greek words that are translated often love, and they're often used interchangeably, which they are. The first one is agape, the second one is phil philia, philia, I'll just use that term as the noun form of it. <clears throat> um, and it is the second of those words, philia, that is used in this verse. The NIV translates it friendship. It could be, you could read it, love of the world, literally, rather than friendship with the world. But here's the point that I want to make. In the normal aspect of the Greek world, even though these two words were used for love, often used interchangeably, uh, this is a fairly standard, common, ongoing distinction. That agape, the term that's used often most of God's love, is, is, is a statement of the will. I choose to love you. Philia is a statement of the emotions. You've got a place in my heart. You've grabbed a hold of me somehow emotionally. This is the word used here. Don't get an attachment that's an emotional big deal to the world. Don't develop, don't allow an affection for the world to develop in your life. Now, in the verse, he starts out, even before he says, don't you know, friendship with the world is hatred towards God. It, it starts out with this horrible term and thought and idea of calling people, those that he's writing to, referring to people, these people, as adulterous people. And that in itself that in itself Let me, let, me, let me back up. Friendship. You know, Jesus said, well, this is tying in with the word adultery, actually. The, the, term, the term adultery has to do with a covenant of marriage is broken. And it has to do with the fact that the covenant of marriage is... Uh, is, is a line that's drawn between that married couple and everything else. I'm not sure what's going on with this thing. But 
The covenant of marriage, let me just give you a word here on your sermon notes. The covenant of marriage separates that couple from everything else. From everyone else. When a couple comes and they stand here, they stand here, or it's outdoors or wherever it is, and they look at one another and they say, will you, do you? And the other says, yes, oh yes, I do. They form a covenant. They make a promise. And that promise draws a distinction around that couple and draws a line that limits all other friendships. And so when James uses this term adultery and he's using it in a he's using it in a metaphorical sense the Bible does this many many times in the Old Testament many of the prophets call the Israelites adulterers because they're they worship idols. So they're using this as this marital term, this societal term as a description of what's going on spiritually. And When James says, look, you adulterous people, don't you know you can't be friends on equal basis with the world and and with God? He's just saying, he's using the term uh, adultery to, to, to create an image using marriage that all of us understand that when you're married, you can't be the same type of friends with your wife or with your husband, that you are with everybody else. There's something exclusive about the marriage covenant. And if you uh, go outside that covenant, you go outside that marriage bond, and you say, well, I want to be equal on equal footing and on, have an equal bond with everybody else, your marriage can't work. Your marriage just becomes meaningless by that. Jesus said, you can't, you, you, can't have two, you can't have two masters. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. You can't have two equally loved wives or husbands. It's just the nature of the game. You cannot, that's why our, that's why our United States, uh, based on biblical principles, our United States has always maintained you cannot legally be married to more than one person been done, but the, there was, you know, experiment with the Mormons at times where they in different places tried to make this happen, but I'm simply saying, by and large, this is a very long-held, deeply recognized, and, and held principle that marriage is a commitment that makes one relationship exclusive over others. Using that as a metaphor, James is saying, do you think it's any different between the world around you where you can become attached with your heart and God who says, I want your loyalty, I expect your heart, in fact, I demand your loyalty. What is the world? He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is... If you choose to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. What is the world? Well, it's not talking about the globe. It's not talking about geography. 
even though we often use the world in that sense, this is not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about what I call here a value system. We often refer to it as our culture around us. A value system that is so often in so many parts of the world hostile to God, denying of God, resisting of God, of the idea of God, of the reality of God, or the claim of God. It don't matter if it's a government. It don't matter if it's a program. It don't matter if it's a neighborhood uh, group that has got together. It doesn't matter if it's uh, the Supreme Court making a ruling that, that okays something that God says isn't okay. Whatever its expression, wherever and however it happens, the world is, is the world is the system that shoves aside all accountability or even recognition of God. There's many people who run many programs in our world that don't even believe in God. So, of course, the world in its, in its programs and its philosophy is going to largely reflect the values of those who make the decisions. This is what politicians talk about when they're running for office and argue over. And this is what, you know, uh, this huge issue of abortion, which has popped out this past week because of the Supreme Court leak that's come, on, come along. Um, you know, it's a flashpoint in our culture, in our nation. It has to do with this very issue right here. What is the value system in which we operate under? Christian community says we shouldn't take the lives of, of innocent babies. How do you know? Says who? Who cares? Because God tells us. The other side says, how do we know God tells us this? And if he does tell us this, why would we care? And so there's, there's this clash. And the system that's hostile to God is what he's calling the world. Here's a verse from Romans chapter 8. It says, you know, if, if the world controls your mind, God cannot control it. And if you're on the one side, you just, by the nature of it, are going to be hostile to the other side. This is exactly what James is saying. Don't you understand, he says, that if you're friends with the one side, you're going to be enemies with the other side. This is, these are the words of Paul here. And he says, look, if the mindset of sinful man or sinfulness controls your thinking, you're not even able to please God. You're not only not on his side, you are his enemy. Now, this is sobering to actually think about, uh, to, to, to really ponder, contemplate. I'll come back to that in a second. To me, it's ironic that the Scripture often refers to, using the word cosmos, the Scripture often refers to this culture in which we live, this, this dark realm uh, that's so uh, bristly against anything that God might offer or suggest. It's an, it's an irony to me that it's called the world because that makes it seem like it's based here. But we know from many other places in Scripture 
that it's actually not based here at all. It's the kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's not a political thing at all. It's a spiritual kingdom. The scripture tells us it's a kingdom of darkness. It's, it's controlled by the prince of darkness, the archenemy of God. It is a kingdom that is spiritual, and it's just kind of transplanted here to become a source of conflict here for those of us who are made in God's image. It is manifested in our life on our planet, so we call it the world. But it really has nothing to do with this place. Nothing wrong with this place. God made a beautiful place for us to live, and he blessed it. He said it was all good. There's nothing wrong with this earth. But it is the kingdom of darkness transplanted here to become a thorn in our side, a destroyer of our path, for our path. It is that which has made the whole world seem as if it's uh, a place of, of, of conflict and, cata and catastrophe. <clears throat> it is actually the spiritual kingdom that is called here the world. It's a nickname for the kingdom of Satan. And here's how it shows up in our daily lives, in our culture, in our politics, in our communities, in our laws, in, in, in our homes. Here's how it shows up. Here's how we, got, we, here's how we begin to know that this thing has the stench of the world on it. It's, it's champions. It constantly brings to the surface the rights of each individual person promoting the self in many different ways. If Satan can get our focus upon our own selves and our own glory, then he's done no different with us than he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He came to them and he said, hey, hey, you, what about this tree over here? And they said, oh, we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to take of that tree. And Satan said, oh, now, come on, really? Why would God be so concerned to keep you from, I mean, and he just kept pulling the ego out. And eventually, Adam and Eve were at the point they were saying, yeah, saying to themselves, well, yeah, why can't I have just as much right to say what I can do as God would have? And so it is this indulgence of self, self-satisfaction, self-serving, and self-glory that is the signature of this world, and that's what makes us the enemy of God. What does... What does uh, in, in 1 John, in, in the book of 1 John, he talks about the world, and he talks about it as, or in terms of, the lust of the eyes, the lust of having, the, the, the lust of tasting and touching. In other words, it's all about what I could have, what I could experience. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What could I indulge my, what's new that I could indulge myself with? This, this propensity and this obsession with just pampering and pleasuring my own self. 
is the essence of the idea of the kingdom of darkness because it's exactly opposite of the way of serving God. What does friendship with the world look like? James says, look, if you're going to be friends with the world, you've got to understand this makes you an enemy with God. I'm just put some thoughts. These are nothing but my own personal observations from life and uncritical acceptance of worldly values. If people say, well, this is how it is. This is how our society structured. This is how our school system should be run. And I just buy it. I don't think about it. I just say, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I understand separation of church and state. That makes sense. Or whatever. And I don't even put my critical thinking to it. Then I, I really am falling into the worldly way of looking at things. Um, a desire for fame or popularity or admiration by the world or from the world. Um, if that's your goal in life, then you're a worldly person. If, if you just want to be famous or, or you want everyone who, no matter what they think or believe, you want them to admire you, then you're a worldly person. Exaltation of individual rights. We live in a, a, a society that's obsessed with the fact that if I want to do it, if this somehow will ease my burden or ease my conscience or ease my finances or whatever, and I want to unload in this way, so I want to abort a child because that would be an inconvenient lifestyle, or I want to divorce my wife because she's, she's you know, just not, uh, I just find an easier without her, or I want to change my sexual identity, or I, whatever. These kind of things, these kind of things we have come to in our culture and say, sure, go for it. Okay, no problem. Because everybody should have the right to do what they want. Everybody should have the right to express themselves any way they want. This is the world. And James is saying, if you're a friend of that, if you're attached to that, then you're actually detach yourself from the Lord and become an enemy of the Lord. Uh, here's just a few more thoughts. These are, these are just personal thoughts from David. I don't find this in the Bible. But the assumption of the moral authority of the media, in other words, when you turn on the tube or the radio or the paper, internet, whatever... <clears throat> And they say it, and you say, oh, yes, yes. Just because it's said. You, you buy it. You believe it. You give them authority just because it's there and someone is speaking. In other words, oh. Assumption of the moral authority of media, movie stars, or whatever. We, have a, we live in a great day when anybody can have their own channel, you know, and everybody can have their own voice, except me. <clears throat> Um, everybody can give their take on the morality of the day and say, well, here's, you know, here's how it should be. And it's amazing and it's, it's tragic how people will just, just drink it up. If so-and-so said it, then it certainly, you know, it must be true. And, and, and instead, of, instead of saying, well, God is my frame of reference, God's what determines what is true for me. We, we just buy into these people who are famous for being famous, and we let them call the moral shots. Exaltation of entertainment or sport, just living for that. Rejection of divine absolutes or divine authority. Obsession 
with these things. These are marks of the world and worldliness is what I'm saying. If, 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 if your life... If your life is most concerned about what can I experience rather than what can I give and how can I serve and how can I worship and so forth. If these are just some kind of things that James says, look, if this, if, if this expresses what you're like and what you crave for, you better pay attention and you better, uh, you better draw back because you're, you're falling for the world. You're becoming you're becoming. Philia, you're becoming attached to the world, and unfortunately, that will make you an enemy of God. This is how Jesus said it, my kingdom is not even of this world. In fact, there's many other scriptures, and I'm not going to take time to read these scriptures because of, just because of time, but there's plenty of scriptures that say it is our role as Christians to be separate from the world. Second Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, look, there shouldn't even be a, a, a bond of commonality between the light and the dark, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There, there should be a repulsion rather than a bond because we should be able or to, we should be separated. Paul said it this way, through the cross of Christ, I died to the world and the world died to me. He uses the term for crucifixion. Here's a, uh, Here's another scriptural term that, that Paul raises in several of his New Testament letters that he says, when the world tempts you and the, and the, um, and the, the, the expressions of the world come into contact with your life and, they're, and you're pulled and you're tempted, say no, to quote Nancy Reagan. Just say no. Deny yourself. Paul says the... Uh, the the grace of Christ teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to deny. Here's another term the scripture uses, and I could go on and on with these. I just picked these four where we're told to love the kingdom of the Lord and to love good and to hate. You know, that word can get you in trouble today. If you say in any, if you, if you say in any forum, oh, I hate this, this, lawlessness. I hate this ungodliness. You could wind up, who knows, maybe in jail. But this is what the scripture teaches us. This is what the scripture tells us. That we, and so uh, this is the point that James is making. A continual, habitual friendship, affection, attraction to the world is evidence of hostility towards God in the same way, while using the word adulterer, in the same way as an adulter as adultery is expressing hostility to marriage. I don't care who you are, I don't care what excuse you might have. If you commit adultery, you're not blessing your marriage. <clears throat> you're actually, even though you may not be intending to, you're actually expressing hostility towards your marriage. And James is saying it in just this way. So the good news here is that you can change from being friendship a friend with the world. Since there's these two sides and they're locked in combat and you're over here and you want to become over here, the Bible says you can be born again. You can be born anew. And 
God can change your loyalty and your whole perspective. Okay, there should be a picture here. Oh, here it is. Um, I won't go into... This is, uh, this is Reagan at the, uh, at the wall when he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And um, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to waste time getting into a lot of detail. But you know, Ronald Reagan started out in his political, political career as a Democrat. In his early years, he was a Democrat. He was also pro-abortion in his early years, in his expressions, in his political decisions. And then later in life, he began moving more uh, in the other direction. And, of course, became not only very against, very much against this, uh, the, the reality of abortion, but actually joined the Republican Party politically. <clears throat> I heard him interviewed once, and a reporter was, who kept writing this, and kept trying to uh, raise this as an issue, and kept seeking to sort of embarrass, uh, this was actually during his presidency, kind of embarrass him about the fact that he used to be a Democrat, and now he had flip-flopped, and so forth. I've never forgotten this. President Reagan took it very calmly. He didn't seem to get ruffled by it at all. And he finally just said, look, I grew up. He said, I had, uh, I had thoughts that were very different from these in early days, and I listened to people, and I listened to stories, and I read, and he said, I began to see difference. That I began to see I was wrong, believe, believe I was wrong. And he said, the more I studied, the more I thought, well, especially he was talking about the issue of abortion. Um, he said, uh, the, the more I grew until I realized that I needed to completely change the position that I had held. And he said this, where is it written to this reporter? Where is it written in the, un where is it written in the great laws of the universe that you can't change sides? I've never forgotten that statement that he made. Where is it written? If I realize I'm wrong, where is it written that I cannot change sides? Here's the point. And I, wanna, you know, I want us to understand this. Anyone can switch sides. You can, you can switch from being a friend of the world to being a friend of God, but you cannot be on both sides. And what James is saying, look, if you defect from the one to the other, you have to understand you now become an enemy. And so if you want to be a friend of the world, you're going to be an enemy of God. This is simply how it is. Okay, one, one more quick thought. I'm done because I should have been done. Uh, this very last statement is very uh, hard to translate. And here's a couple different translations in different New Testaments, different translations. Uh, it's just not clear in the grammar of the statement what it's saying. So your translation may read one way and somebody else might read another. Here's some options. The spirit that dwells within us desires to envy. The spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy. I personally believe, in context of what he's saying here, he's talk, that the last one of these is the, the way to translate this phrase. I've looked at it and looked at it, and, and you can range the, the grammar of it to make it say sort of slightly different things. I think James is saying that God longs or God is jealous over us. And so if you leave God's side and you become a friend of the world, that does not please God. He longs for the Spirit. He is jealous over the Spirit. You know, the Lord says many places, I, Lord, your God, am a jealous God. You be careful. You don't, don't, don't go switching sides on me. 
How could he not be a jealous God? He created us to be his friend. If we become his foe, that's going to sting. That's going to, that's, going to not, that's going to displease the Lord. And so this is, I believe, what James is saying in making his point. That he did not create us to deny him or to defy him. He created us to fight in his army and to serve him and to be his friend, not his foe. So this is the decision that we each make today. Next week, I want to come back with this last, with the next phrase to remind us of this. If you're struggling here, there's help. But he gives us more grace. Heavenly Father, as we sing this, this song to bring our worship to, to an end here today, as we, as we contemplate this reality, oh, let us humbly stay on your side. Let us fight for the right. It is an awful thing to become an enemy of you. We would not even have any doubt about how that would end. And it would not be good. We never want to be, put ourselves in a place where we become an enemy of God. Because they will never win. No, we want to be known as Abraham was, as the friend of God. As the servant of God. As the one whose heart was a heart after God. So inspire us and free us from this grip of the world that would claim our loyalty, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.